the entire province of Manitoba is about 650,000 square kilometers, which is almost basically two and a half times the size of the UK. The, the bears are heading towards Churchill, and that's why it's prime polar bear season. People want to see the bears, they got to look, they got to start looking at it about a year in advance. This is episode 21 of the Travel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Matthew from the Travel Podcast, and I'm joined by our special guest, Don, owner of a Manitoba-based tour operator. On this episode, Don and I will be diving deep into the Canadian province of Manitoba. Don talks about the history of Manitoba, the vast food scene, Manitoba's thousand lakes, summer hikes, and what time of year is best to see the polar bears in Churchill. A reminder about our sponsor, Not Just Travel, where holidays are made even better thanks to their award-winning travel consultants and their new book and relax guarantee to give you that peace of mind when booking your next travel plans. Make sure to check them out at notjusttravel.com. Now let's get this episode started. Welcome, Don. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. Don is joining us live um, from Winnipeg uh, in Manitoba. And if you could just give uh, all the listeners a quick introduction to yourself, how long you've lived in the province, and uh, and what you do. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm the owner manager of Heartland International Travel and Tours, and we're what we call an incoming agency, uh, destination management company, taking care of visitation from vi- from visitors that come from outside of the province, uh, from across Canada, the United States, and also from around the globe, including citizens from the from the UK. So we handle everything uh, from a tourism point of view, people coming to Winnipeg and Manitoba. And we've been uh, doing this, uh, oh, I've been doing this for over 20 years. The, the company itself, we formed in, in 2001 uh, under Heartland International Travel and Tours. I've lived a long time in the province, 74 years. I've been in the travel industry since the mid 70s. So I've experienced a great deal and uh, what uh, what we're going through right now is is the most neat, unique time of our lives, but uh, we will get through it. No, definitely. And as as, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of uh, COVID uh, nineteen. So, I mean, one of the things I know from visiting uh, Canada is how friendly everyone is, and I can imagine during this time, there's a lot of uh, friend, even more friendliness between. Uh, all the natives in in Canada getting together in this difficult time. Do you have any uh, good stories or any um, highlights of what what the situation's going on like over there? Well, actually, we are extremely friendly. We're a friendlier part. We're you know in central Canada, and actually, we've gone. So, we're so bold as we actually put on our license plates for our cars and trucks. We put the word "Friendly Manitoba." So we our work's cut out for us, to say the least. But anyhow. We are a friendly province. I think it's because we have a smaller population than, for instance, the larger provinces like uh, Ontario, Quebec, and BC. Uh, and we're noted for the friendliness. And it's exemplified right now with with the uh, the COVID-19. Uh, neighbors are helping neighbors. And we're doing quite well from the COVID. We've uh, done the social distancing. And uh, people have been very, very, uh, very good about this in our our numbers are really, really low in this province. Actually, if I can talk about that, we've only got about 270 cases of, of uh, uh, COVID uh, viruses, of which only, uh, sadly, though, only uh, six people have died so far in the province. So we're, we've got it basically under control, which speaks highly of, of how we work together as a province and, and people are friendly. Uh, it's sort of a small little story about 
about uh, the friendliness. For instance, uh, all the kids are out of school. They're staying at home. Uh, there's a there's been a tradition lately of uh, young kids having birthday parties and and the word gets out on the streets and and people come by in their cars and honk their horns and even fire trucks and and first responders are coming by when people uh, when kids are announcing where they're where their birthdays are and they'll go by the house on that on that particular street i know in the in the uk and in italy and spain etc people have been coming out on their balconies at certain times and and saluting the first responders and 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 the medical community and so we have a similar thing in a different way over here in in winnipeg as it stands right now like you said i love the fact that you have on your license plates uh how friendly you are it's amazing yes or the pressure's on we have to come through yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we, we do exactly. and we have a good sense of humor we we all have good sense of humor in the city too so we're 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 good for that but and um for those who may not have heard of uh, the province before uh, how may have they have heard of it but not actually associated it and also where is that where is uh, manitoba well actually we're in the very central part of canada and we're known as the Keystone Province. Actually, the, if you look on a map and you see a map of Canada, we're in the shape of a keystone. And uh, we're actually in the just to the east of the city of Winnipeg is a marker that says along the two uh, center of North America and also of Canada. Uh, people would would recognize Manitoba. Per, and probably the most famous one would be where the where the, uh, the Churchill, Manitoba, with the with the polar bears. It's it's the uh, it's a polar bear destination of the world, and uh, a lot of people will have uh, uh, many people from the UK have come over and seen the polar bears. So Churchill, they would know it through that. We're also a, a province, a, an enormous province uh, with with uh, we have over a hundred thousand lakes. So we're we're famous for it. Or for fishing and even hunting in that so it it could be well known for for fishers that are from the UK that have that have come to Canada uh, we certainly have we certainly have the lakes and and rivers and streams etc for for world class fishing and that but i think the main what main where people would recognize Manitoba would be as like literally the polar bear capital. And that was one thing that I was extremely excited about um, being able to talk to you a little bit later in this episode is about the wildlife and the polar bears. It's something that I definitely want to get out to see sometime in my life. Um, and I know before we went on, we were talking about um, a bit of the culture of Manitoba, where it's come from, the name, and also Winnipeg. And I thought it was a, a great fact. Um, do you have any other surprising facts? So obviously, we'll start with what Manitoba means in and Winnipeg means in the uh, native tongue. Well, the word Manitoba is a Cree word. Now, Cree is the indigenous population here. There's a lot of difference. When there's the Cree, Anishinaabe, the Cinnaboyne, the Cree, the the Sioux. Um, you know, your listeners may have heard things like in the in the United States, the Sioux, the Apaches, the Comanches, etc. See, these are these are what they would call First Nations. Uh, we call them First Nations in in Canada. They would be described as maybe tribes, but the Cree is the main uh, indigenous population in Manitoba. And the word Manitoba is a Cree word that means where the Creator sits in the in the in the spiritual world of of the First Nations, and also the word Winnipeg is a Cree word meaning muddy water. And uh, we're uh, in Winnipeg. We have two rivers that converge, and where the center of Winnipeg is, one is the Red River, which comes from the United States, 
and it comes it comes north from from uh, Minnesota and it originated in Minnesota. Incidentally, uh, close the, the red headwaters is close to the headwaters of the Mississippi in the United States, which is obviously a legendary river. One flows north, one flows south, which is interesting. So the Red River, and then we have the Assiniboine River that comes from the west. They they converge in in Winnipeg in a famous place in Winnipeg in central Winnipeg called the Forks. And that's it's the forks of the two river, so it's uh, it's uh, it's it's quite known, well known, and and again using the the Aboriginal um, uh, words, the First Nations actually Aboriginal communities actually first settled in this area about six thousand years ago. It wasn't until the eighteen hundred or seventeen hundreds when when an explorer by the name of Lavarandre came through here, and then this the city opened up to the Europeans, mainly from England and that with the fur trade, Hudson Bay. Company, Northwest Company, etc., in this area, in the uh, mainly in the 1800s. So much history there, uh, going back that far to the First Nations. And how uh, you, I know you mentioned Winnipeg. Uh, is that the main gateway into Manitoba? And is that how people would arrive and then get around the rest of the province? Actually, yeah, Winnipeg is the center. Just just for uh, to put things in in, in perspective, really, uh, the entire province of Manitoba is about six hundred and fifty thousand square kilometers, which is almost basically two and a half times the size of the UK. And we only have a million to one million two hundred thousand population, of which almost eight hundred thousand, two hundred thousand live in Winnipeg. So Winnipeg has naturally become the the gateway to to the province of Manitoba, and also considered the gateway to the west. Historically, it was known as the Chicago of the North when when the, the population of Winnipeg was starting to explode in the late 1800s, early 1900s. We were, uh, incidentally, historically, the fastest growing city in North America in the early 1900s. We had more millionaires per capita than even New York City. So Winnipeg has been a natural gateway for Manitoba. And obviously, because two-thirds of the population live here. It's also the gateway to people that travel to the West from here. Well, I was very interested to note, realize that it was the fastest growing uh, city in North America in the early 1900s. That's, that's massive. Um, and from that, I mean, how has that city developed? I know I know Winnipeg for the ice hockey, so I'm a big sports fan, so I know they definitely have the ice hockey in. How has it developed <laughs> over <laughs> over the past few, few decades? Well, actually... When we were this amazing city, like as they say, we were called the Chicago of the North because we were actually growing bigger than what Chicago was doing in the U.S. at the time because we were that that gateway to immigration coming in. The main immigration was coming in from Europe. There was a huge British population, obviously, U.K. population. A lot came in from Germany, Ukraine. A lot of Mennonites uh, came in from Russia. And that there's a, a multicultural thing. So we developed very quickly from in the early 1900s. We were just an absolute boom town. Then uh, it, uh, it sort of basically fell apart and stagnated when the, the Panama Canal opened up. And actually, instead of goods coming via Winnipeg, they all started going via the Panama Canal. And that ended, that sort of ended a bit of, it ended a lot of, of the, the economics in the city. And the city started to decrease and not decrease in size, but stagnate a bit. The other thing, it was the end of World War One. Uh, the Spanish flu hit at that time, which is appropriate to what what's happening right now in a way. So Winnipeg started to, uh, the population growth stalled. 
and in the twenties, of course, the twenties didn't work out too well. And the thirties, and then, and then with the uh, World War II, it wasn't until the fifties that we started to get back up on our feet. And it was, and then it, it basically a slow growth, nothing, nothing spectacular by any means, except in the last, um, in the last twenty years or so, we've really had a boom. Uh, the the value of the homes are are doing well. We've had some major tourist attractions being built here, so it, the last twenty years has been a boom time for the city. So we've gone through these extremely different eras in growth or not so much growth, and so Winnipeg now is is doing quite well as a city, and it, it's it's become a really a really interesting city from a tourism point of, point of view and also from an economic point of view. Uh, and from that, I know previously from what you've been been mentioning, it's twice the size of the UK as a province on its own. So I can imagine that the the natural beauty and the varying landscape must be vast. When visitors uh, arrive in Manitoba, will there be is, is the landscape very similar across the whole state, or does it vary quite quite a lot? No, there's quite a variety actually, and it's interesting because if you look at the, the topography and the ge- and geography of, of Manitoba, in the southern part, mainly where the city of Winnipeg is, it's very flat because this is this is mainly the prairies. Uh, how this developed is that millions of years ago there was a there was a glacier that covered all of all of this area and down into the United States, a lot of Western Canada. When it when it retreated, it left a giant lake called Lake Agassiz. And Lake Agassiz left all these lakes. That's why we we said now we've got a hundred thousand lakes. But in the in the in the bottom part of the province, in the southern part of the province, is basically fairly flat because it was a lake plain. It was a it was a lake deposits from that. And then from there in, uh, as you go north, the topography changes in what they call the Canadian Shield, which is outcrops of rocks and lakes and streams and that similar to what you see in in uh, northern Ontario and Quebec. It stretches all the way into Manitoba. So at least two thirds, almost two thirds of the province is covered with these fabulous, uh, this this Canadian shield. And then as you get north, you get the tree line starts to decrease. And then you get into the tundra and actually the coastal plains and lake uh, on Hudson Bay around the Churchill area. So you have this variety of topography, but it, it, it opens up. It's it's amazing, and with the population concentration basically in the south, the wilderness areas in the north, uh, not that far north of Winnipeg itself, actually is is quite phenomenal. So if you want to get into the wilderness, we we take it for granted here living here, but if you come here, there's hardly you wouldn't hardly see anybody once you get uh, you know in in uh, most of the province. If you traveled around, if you went in for fishing or whatever. Uh, very rarely would you see any people. It, it's really quite something. So there's an amazing variety, and the topography is quite uh, quite uh, differential from the uh, from the prairies in the south right through to the coastal uh, the the, uh, the coastal plains and in the north in the Churchill area. So there's a, an amazing variety uh, in in Manitoba and with lack of population too. So it's it's you want to get away from it all. This is a good place to come. No, Jeff, I was about to say that. You know, if someone does really want to get away and just for a, be one with nature or just get out into the wilderness. It definitely sounds like a wonderful place. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Talk about, so what what are the seasons like? So obviously uh, with the Arctic tundra, I can imagine now everyone very, very cold. uh, Polar bears live up there down towards the south. I can imagine that there is obviously a long winter 
And is it more winter straight into summer or do you have all four seasons? No, we definitely have all four seasons. Our winters are quite cold. Uh, the winters will last, you know, from any anywhere from sort of the middle to the end of November right through till the end of March sort of thing. But uh, with the winter, like everybody's, you know, they, they, they look at the great Canadian winters as being extremely cold. We, what's, what's beautiful about this area is that we have more sunshine than anywhere, almost anywhere in the world. And in the winter, despite our cold, we have the sun and we, we sort of almost jokingly refer to it as a dry cold. And it really makes a difference. We are much more livable climate in a strange sort of way than they are in Eastern Canada in, in Quebec and the Maritimes where they have moisture. Now I can relate it to the UK in a way your winters uh, aren't as cold by any means as here, but you have a lot of rain. We don't, we have sunny days and I'll tell you the sun means everything. So we're an extremely sunny province. We're just, we're, we're made for so for solar heating and that it's just a perfect one for that. So we have the winters, although cold are, are not at the snow. We don't have as much as the snow as that, that you would have in, in Eastern Canada, in the Maritimes and Quebec and Ontario, they get much more snow than we do. We do get cold, but again, I got to emphasize in the winter, it's fantastic. In in the winter, we have this, the, the sun is everything. And I know everybody can relate to that. I know you were saying today that maybe it's raining and where you are, <laughs> raining in the UK. Well, it's a bright and sunny day here. And the sun means everything, especially, especially in the winter. Our summers are, are quite warm. We'll get to, we'll get to over 30 above uh, in, in, uh, in uh, July and August and sometimes even into September and that. The winters, uh, we can get down as low as, as 25, 30, 35 below uh, Celsius, of course. So there's a great variety in there. And the fall is beautiful here when the trees start turning. I'm a big fan. I would not like to live anywhere else where there aren't four seasons. So if you want four seasons, this is the place to come. And talking about the sunshine in the winter, because again, a lot of people would have potentially just assumed oh, it's the middle of Canada during the winter. It's going to be full of snow, freezing cold, no sunshine, um, too cold for me. So I can imagine that <laughs> there's a lot of outdoor activities to do in the winter because it's sunny and because there's so much open space. There's a, Well, so no, you're, you're absolutely that. right. Yeah. No, you're right. As a matter of fact, uh, you, you had mentioned, uh, you know, Ice hockey. Well, we, we we simply call it hockey here. You would you would refer to it maybe. Well, they they do play ice hockey in the UK. I know that because a lot of a lot of Canadian kids, especially that have come from this area, played in in uh, they they played in the UK. I know that because I know some some of my friends have, have actually gone over there and played in places like in London and in Milton Keynes and up in Glasgow and Edinburgh, etc. And over into Ireland, I know that uh, several Canadians have done that. And but our hockey, when when you're growing up as a young kid in 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 here, although you know in the UK you grow up with with a, with a soccer ball, over here everybody grows up with a hockey stick and a puck. And throughout our our province in the city, there's hundreds and hundreds of open ice hockey rinks that the kids play when I was growing up, my, 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 uh, my sons were doing it. We're playing. ice so I, ice hockey outside was fine. And even no matter how cold it got, everybody still would play outside. And a lot of it had to do with the sun. Also, there's an interesting fact that on our rivers, 
we have the longest ice skating rink in the world. In in uh, it, it actually a couple of them goes down the Assiniboine River and down the Red River, and it goes for several kilometers. And you can actually skate outside. And once you start skating, you warm up dramatically. And uh, even if it's 20 below and the sun's out, you'll find that you, you can get down to a, a light a light jacket and even a sweater. It gets it gets so nice in that because of the sun and that. So outdoor activities, when you live in a climate like this, you either embrace the winter or you might as well move. And we embrace it. And, and as they say, the key to the whole thing is sun. And if you come here in the winter, you'll find we have uh, the center of the city has a uh, uh, tourist area called the Forks, which is a converted old railway yard, which is is phenomenal and it can be as busy in the in the middle of january as it is in the middle of the summer it's that good and, and people come from all over the city and the province to come there and meet and enjoy the outdoor uh the outdoor life uh, around around that area especially with the with the, the ice skating so you you learn to uh you learn to embrace it i'll take i'll take the cold and the sun over rain any day i'll yeah i'd agree with you there um Sun and sun and cold, I can deal with. You just wrap up with some more layers. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can dress you can dress for the cold. Yes, you can always dress for the cold, so that's never a problem. No, and then moving into the other seasons and being able to go out because obviously I know you mentioned uh, with regards to the fishing, um, hikes, and lots of other activities during the spring through to the fall. What seasons are best for really exploring um, the outdoor wilderness in Manitoba? Well, actually, mainly the summer and actually into the fall, and that with with the as I mentioned before, 100,000 lakes. I mean, the, the, it's unlimited to the, the the fishing potential, and there's a lot of world-class fly-in fishing camps, and also a lot of a lot of camps that can be reached in the north and and uh, and and uh, sort of the eastern part of the province by road. And that and we have, uh, I mean, the lakes uh, to the east of the city of Winnipeg, for instance, and in, uh, towards the Ontario border is the White Shell, uh, and there's numerous numerous lakes in that area and actually Winnipegers are famous for uh, are having cottages in the area. Also north of Winnipeg, just north is, is Lake Winnipeg, which is probably one of the, I think the 10th or largest lake in the world. It's an enormous lake and there's cottages all along uh, the southern part of the lake. And so it's uh, it's only about an hour, an hour and a half drive on either side north of Winnipeg. So hundreds and hundreds of Winnipegers have cottages along the lakes and out there. So Winnipegers in the summer, actually, you'll see many of them will just they'll just sort of move out in the weekends. They'll move out out to their cottages. And actually, people are opening up their cottages right now. And a lot actually will go even even a little further east into northern Ontario and that. But the opportunities for cottage life in the wilderness is just is there. And we embrace it as, as citizens here. And as I say, we sometimes take it for granted. But if you were to come here from from a populated area similar to like if you came from London or any of the majors in Manchester or Liverpool, et cetera, if you came here, you'd, you'd uh, once you get outside of the city, it, it, it takes only a few minutes and you get into some pretty, pretty interesting wilderness right off the bat. So it's, uh, but people again, in the summer, this is the time to do it. A lot of activities for hiking and the, and the Canadian shield and the white shell area to the east of Winnipeg is, is really fabulous for hiking. 
and that's not they're not like mountains but they're picturesque and they got lakes and rivers all the time so in my opinion it's probably easier to to uh hike and visualize views great views spectacular views in the canadian shield area than it is in the in the rocky mountains in the rocky mountains unless you're an avid climber you you sit you sit and you can look at the mountains but in here in Manitoba, when you get into the Canadian Shield area, you can actually get out and walk throughout the area. It's fantastic. So in my opinion, it's more appealing for hikers and visitors in the, in this area than it is even even into the uh, the mountainous areas. And, and on that, obviously you mentioned there's lots of uh, houses around the lakes. Um, you can get straight out into the wilderness not far from Winnipeg to to go and do some hikes, some great great exploration. Where would people, if they were looking to go and do those, go and explore those areas, are do sorry, are there hotels in the around the lakes, or is it more just houses and people use Winnipeg as a base and they'll go out for a day, do something, come back, stay in Winnipeg, then go out for a day and come back? Yeah, there are a few. There are a few hotels on the, on the west side of the lake, uh, Lake Winnipeg, for instance, is a town called Gimli, which is of Icelandic heritage, by the way, which is very interesting. The largest uh, Iceland, concentration of Icelandic population outside of uh, outside of Iceland itself. And uh, there's hotels along in that area. There's a few in in the White Shell area. They're more wilderness uh, style of hotels too, so you can get that. And that, but there are you can day trips out of Winnipeg is is you know people do that all the time, like they'll go up to a place called Grand Beach, which has got one of the most spectacular beaches in the entire world actually, and it's quite often a day trip for Winnipeg because it takes about an hour, a little over an hour to get there, so you can go up early in the morning and come back late in the evening or uh, in the evening and spend the whole day at the beach, so. A lot of a lot of people do that, and a lot of a lot of tourists that come here, they'll still be based in Winnipeg. And as they say, if you only have an hour to drive to the lake, to this mammoth lake and all these fabulous beaches, so a lot of people do that. They don't even bother to to overnight, uh, in or even try to overnight in in uh, smaller hotels in there. But they'll they'll actually use Winnipeg as a base and go up to the lake. Lake Winnipeg is is particularly well set up for that. And if someone wanted to get out into the real wilderness, is it quite easy to rent an RV or motorhome and then get around the, the province? Yeah, you, you can. There are places where you can rent motorhomes. And I, 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 another really good area to go would be like Riding Mountain National Park, which is in the in the western, uh, western sort of northwest of Winnipeg. It's about a two and a half hour drive from Winnipeg, a beautiful, beautiful area. It's a, it's a national park. The other parks like in the wilderness, uh, the, the White Shell has provincial parks and there's provincial parks north of the city and that. But uh, Riding Mountain National Park is is a is a, a historically well developed tourist area. Uh, it goes back to actually the 30s when it was developed, and that so it's 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 a beautiful beautiful area, very isolated in a, in its own way. Isolation is all relative for us. Uh, we we don't consider it that much wilderness in a way, but you, you certainly would if you came from the UK. It's it's a beautiful beautiful area and a very small population in that area. 
So there are a lot of good areas to go if you had a recreational vehicle or you want camping and tenting. There's numerous campgrounds and tenting, uh, tenting areas in the province. So there's, there's different ways of doing it, but it, all of them are quite accessible. Uh, you can, of course, you can, you can go further north and you can go into fly-in camps and that, which is a little more expensive, of course, but it's still, if, if you want get to get away from it all, get away into the pure wilderness, that, that's the way to do it also. Uh, sounds sounds absolutely brilliant. My cup of tea. And obviously heading out further north, and you've mentioned a couple of times, you're obviously up to Hudson Bay, to Churchill, where you can see polar bears and the beluga whales. Oh, I'm assuming both those be during different seasons. Obviously the polar bears during the more towards the winter months and the beluga whales during the summer period. Well, the, the Churchill, the, the polar bears is basically October, November, because that's when uh, Churchill is ideally set up as a, as a community. It's, it's really quite unique in that the polar bear actually does not hibernate. They spend the whole winter out on the ice in Hudson Bay going after seals, which is their main diet. And then once the ice thaws, they come back on land and they come back on land. A lot of them in this area and Churchill come to they land on the eastern, just east of Churchill. In a, in a place called Wapusk National Park, and they'll they'll summer in there. But as as the the climate starts a little get colder in the fall, the bears are waiting, anxiously waiting for the ice to form on Hudson Bay to be able to go back out and get seals because they haven't eaten since they've come off the ice. Now, the town of Churchill is ideally set up because it's in the middle of this. It's 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 right in this migration path of the polar bears because Churchill is is located right on the mouth of the Churchill River, which is uh, freshwater coming into the Hudson Bay. Freshwater freezes before saltwater. And so the bears, this is a natural, they're attracted towards the town of Churchill. And that's why Churchill is so ideally set up for the polar bear season. So once you get into October, November, the, the bears are heading towards Churchill. And that's why it's prime polar bear season. Once they're out on the ice in the end of November sort of thing, early December, uh, depending on the, on, on the year, they're gone for the winter and you don't, you don't see them. And then, so that time, by the way, it's, it's ideal for uh, Aurora Borealis, Northern Lights. When you get into, when you get into the winter in the Churchill area, it's a perfectly, uh, perfectly situated. Actually, you get more Northern Lights in Northern, in Northern Manitoba than most parts in the world. So it's, it's an extremely valuable area for that. The beluga whales, they, they start in around uh, the end of June, early July. And go through until August in that because they're the, the the belugas hundreds of them actually come into the mouth of the Churchill River right at the town of Churchill so it's just an amazing town you know for setup for beluga whales and the and the and the polar bears and also northern uh, northern lights or borealis occasionally even in the summer occasionally you'll see a rogue bear will come towards the town and somewhere along the along the uh, Along the coastline, you 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 can sometimes see bears, but as I say, the main season for polar bear viewing is is um, October November. Ourselves as a as a company, for instance, we believe it or not, we do three day tours. They fly in from Winnipeg up to Churchill and back for the day, just to see the bears. And people from all over the world do this, and we've been sold out doing this since 2004. So, uh, the the polar bears are 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 an amazing an amazing attraction and they really do put manitoba on the map when it comes to uh, nature viewing nothing quite like that it's amazing that you can actually go and do that day the day trip go and go up 
from Winnipeg again, use that as a base, go up to Churchill. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. Back. I, I, yeah, I would never have believed it uh, years and years ago. But when I started doing it, people want to see their polar bears, <laughs> and it takes about it's about a two hour flight from Winnipeg. You get up there, you leave about seven in the morning. You're up there after nine. You spend the day in the tundra looking for polar bears, watching them, taking your pictures and that. You come back to town for uh, a meal and some souvenirs sh- shopping, and then back to the airport and back home by about eleven o'clock at night and i've had people from australia new zealand many from the uk germany japan china you name it a lot of americans they'll do that just for one day that's how important it is for a lot of people to see polar bears and of course you can stay up there a lot longer there's a there's a, a numerous opportunities for many many tour operators run run tours into churchill you can actually there you can actually go out there's what they call it like a uh like a, a lodge the, uh, out on the tundra itself, which are sort of a combination similar to what a train would be like with different types of, of these tundra buggy style of, of things where they have accommodation. They've got a lounge, they've got a kitchen, they got, uh, you know, a, a, a restaurant area in it. And, and you can actually spend, uh, you know, spend five or six days out on the tundra viewing bears from a lodge out on the tundra itself that way. So there's many, many opportunities to see the bears and numerous times you can go from two or three days up to a week or so, uh, or as we've indicated before, like even one day. So there's, uh, and the polar bear season is, 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 is unbelievable. Most of them, uh, all just to a 99% of them come via Winnipeg to get to Churchill too. So Winnipeg becomes a gateway for that as well. And talk about obviously there must have been a very limited amount of spaces to go and to view them, whether it be the day tour or going and staying for the four or five up to a week or more. How far in advance do you see people booking to do, especially your, your trip? Well, at least a year in advance, most of them, you know, it just, it becomes extremely popular and it's, it's interesting. You, you, you basically, most of the, the viewing is all done by tour operators and packages and you rarely, you, you can't really book on your own to go up there and get accommodation and then go out and see the, the bears you need. You need to get into a package to be able to do this. It's, it's very difficult otherwise because you have to go out on, on these, the, the, these, uh, Tundra buggies, which people are sort of um, familiar with, or, or ice buggies, you know, they, where you view the bears. There are these huge vehicles with these giant tires, and you go out into the tundra to go and view the bears and that. And so the, the, the province of Manitoba and the conservation actually limits the number of these vehicles that can go out on the tundra because of because of uh, the damage to the environment. So they they limit that. So there there are fixed packages that use the that that you have to book into to use these uh, to be able to get out and view the bears so it's uh and and most people they they book uh, most of them book a year in advance uh and and last minute stuff is really not not available too often if at all and that so it's it's uh if people want to see the bears they got to look they got to start looking at it about a year in advance i think that's great to know because again if someone's solely going all that way to see the polar bears and haven't hasn't thought about that, it'd be very disappointing. Yeah, no, that's true. You, yeah, it's very important, especially if you've come from the UK, for instance. You, you spend all your resources and all, you know the the money to get here, uh, and just to be disappointed that you can't get out on the tundra because they're full. 
and that. So uh, we we actually get calls from time to time for people, and other operators do the same thing for people saying, "Well, we didn't realize that." So it's it's unique that way. Um, quite often, uh, tourist attractions throughout the world. Uh, Last-minute deals are, are quite accessible because you know hotels want to uh, you know fill up uh, last-minute uh, rooms, etc. But not in the case of Churchill. Churchill is is really unique that way. So you have to you have to plan well in advance to be able to go to see the bears. I think that's great. Again, it's, it's looking after the environment for the polar bears, for everything. It's it's looking after that wildlife that people are going to see, rather than try and take advantage of it and just fill, 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 fill. So I think that's a great. Initiative. Well, no, that's true. And and by limiting limiting the number of vehicles that can go out to see the bears, it's really a, you know it, it's it's a it's a it's a great thing to do because from an environmental point of view, it's it's looking out for the protection of of the bears and also protection of the environment itself. And you don't want to abuse that. It's an amazing resource from a tourism point of view, but you don't want to abuse it. Now, I, you know, you can go to safaris in different parts of Africa, and that, and quite often you'll see, you'll 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 you go to a place and you'll see uh, ten or twelve uh, jeeps, etc., vehicles around a bear or, a, pardon me, around a lion or or whatever. And that they try and limit that here. They they want to make sure that this does not happen. In, in Churchill, so they limit the number of vehicles that, that can go out here. So it, it's a protection of this valuable resource. And and the way climate change has, has occurred, you know, the, the bears, uh, with global warming, it, it's, it's a, it becomes a disastrous effect on the bears because uh, the sea ice isn't, isn't uh, out as long as, nor, as it used to be. And that's when the bears feed, and so they they need they need uh, global warming is not a friend of the of the polar bear, and that. so now a lot of people want, are are kind of anxious to see the bears now because they perhaps in the in not too distant future there'll be fewer fewer numbers of them. I definitely think it's a big a big draw. And going back to visitors to to the province um to manitoba when they're traveling there, what sort of food and drink uh, can someone experience is, is there like a local speciality well it's interesting because um you'll find this uh makes a lot of sense manitoba is is a as a mosaic of cultures from all over the world we've got we've got so many different cultures Originally, uh, historically, when it was the boom time, it was mainly Europeans who are coming here. But now there's an enormous Asian population here. And there's also a lot of uh, from North Africa, for instance, just recently there in the last, uh, you know, 20 years or so from Sierra Leone, uh, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, for instance, also uh, Canada is obviously a country of immigration. We're different than the Americans this way, and the Americans call they they like to prefer when you come to America as a melting pot. And whereas you try to um, get into the American culture, what it's it's just ingrained in in their in their educational system, et cetera. Whereas in Canada, it's it's more of a mosaic. People like to maintain their own culture. So with the cultures becomes these this phenomenal. Uh, variety of food and ethnic ethnic kind of dishes that you would get so you can get anything here uh, just as an example a large large population of winnipeg is from the philippines 
the Filipino population came here in the 50s when we were a booming garment industry at the time. And they say second and third generations here. It's a huge part of our population. It's almost now, Tagalog is now almost the second second language in, in Winnipeg and that. So you get this great variety. So for a Manitoba dish, well, we have specialty like bison, which is, you would say, buffalo or bison meat is good. And... Uh, you know, so there's there also an important part of the culture is is the French influence, obviously too. So there's there's the different the different kind of uh, ethnic foods, but you can get anything here. It's really quite something, and that's because of the diversity of the population. And I assume that, like you mentioned in Winnipeg, though a lot of that would be around the Forks area, or is there certain districts within Winnipeg um, that would essentially have a lot of the uh, food from and neighborhoods of the from the Philippines? And, you know, like you mentioned, the mosaics, are they within districts or is it just spread out across the city? There's a bit of, there's, it, it's spread out. There's there's quite a bit of, of both. But the Forks area, for instance, you can get in there and, and you go into the Forks and there's a, a historical thing, which was they've converted a, a old, uh, you know, Forks. Uh, they were actually stables, believe it or not, in the railway era. And you got a, a variety of ethnic, ethnic different kinds of foods. There's a French area of Winnipeg called St. Boniface. And of course, the French cuisine is, 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 is very famous in that area. And there's, there's Filipino restaurants all over the place in our exchange district, which is the, it's the oldest area of Winnipeg, which is when we were booming in the late 1800s, early 1900s, this is the warehouse district of Winnipeg. Uh, Because our city didn't boom after that era, all these old buildings are most of them are still there, and they've now been converted into these beautiful like there's there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people have moved back downtown because the, a lot of the old warehouses have been converted into condominiums and and with lofts etc. And a lot of them uh, have new businesses in there, arts and crafts, uh, plus a lot of restaurants in in the Exchange District. There's also an area. Famous in Winnipeg called Corridon, which is, is basically Italian. The, the restaurants and most of the restaurants in there are Italian, so it's it's sort of what we call Little Italy here in Winnipeg. So you have this have these pockets of throughout the city. Plus, plus you have certain districts that are well known for it. But you you can get any type of of food that's basically out there in the globe you could get here in Winnipeg. That's how diverse the population is. So no one has to worry about if they're traveling there, there'll be food for them. Oh, absolutely. No matter what you want. No, it's everything. And and now lately, for instance, a lot of uh, Af- restaurants of, of the cultures that come from like Sudan and Somalia and Sierra Leone, you can see that in the restaurants here. And of course, with the Orient, you, you've got, you've got, of course, the traditionally Chinese and Japanese, et cetera, Filipino, of course, you've got everything. You, you, you want a food, you'll find it here in Winnipeg. That's for sure. And that's because of the diversity of the population. And that is a plus factor because that, that adds a lot of people are surprised when they come here and they say, like, I know, I know the UK is multicultural and that, but it's even more so here because Canada was developed. The Americas were developed as, uh, by immigration. That's it. You know, they, with the exception of the First Nations, the original Aboriginal population, similar to what the Australia and New Zealand is like, we're similar in a way. And for for the UK visitors, what which is key to us here is we're we're still and we jokingly refer we're still part of the colonies. 
So we're like Australia and New Zealand in that we still have the ties to the UK, ties to the royalty, you name it. Uh, and and so we still have the we have the similar kind of schooling systems, the similar kind of parliamentary systems as you would have in the UK. So anybody coming from 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 the UK would say, "Wow, this is fabulous!" You know, this is Canada is is really really quite something. So we're very uh, welcoming country when it comes, especially in the province of Manitoba, for anybody coming from the UK. I love my food, so sounds like a great place. Yeah, to, this is a place to be. Then you can't yeah, go wrong go, here. Exactly, just walk around each day, have a different, have a couple of different uh, uh, different types of food, and one at lunchtime, one in the evening, be heaven. And talking talk about obviously to get around Manitoba, we mentioned. Uh, Come into yeah, can I add just yeah? I just wouldn't mind adding one more thing. We have a yeah. a, a, a cultural event in in the summer in, in late July, early August, sort of early August, called Folklorama, and basically it's these are ethnic and cultural pavilions indicating the this diversity of the population. We'll have forty or fifty, forty five to fifty different ethnic groups different cultural groups from all over the world that form these, they have these, it's a festival. And of course they focus on their own food when it comes to that. So it's a huge thing for the province, a huge thing for Manitoba at the time, it's called Folklorama. And it just indicates the variety of what we've got from the cultural and the, and the cuisine is just, it's ideal. So that's a perfect time to come here if you wanted want to see the diversity of the population the of uh, the cultures and the food etc which goes along with it so it it's uh, it, it it exemplifies the diversity of the population of, of Winnipeg and Manitoba. Definitely one for the foodies, I think that festival. And and before going back to my original, my questions before that, um, are there any other sort of festivals that uh, annual festivals that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, there's there's actually an Icelandic festival north of like in this Gimli area, which is. Uh, centers on the Icelandic uh, culture it's in in uh, basically in July and that we also have uh, there's 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 different different festivals and events throughout the like there's a huge folk festival which is in in Manitoba which is it's one of the largest uh, folk festivals in the world and people from all over the world come here for that it's usually in July and that this is a, a little scarier time right now as to what's happening but the these festivals are are famous, uh, famous in this area. So, so there's, there's, uh, and again, it shows a diversity and, and there's also a fringe festival that comes in here in the summer and a jazz festival. A lot of, a lot of music festivals come throughout. There's a, a country music festival out in the Dauphin near the Riding Mountain area. So, I mean, whatever you want, you can find it here in Manitoba, especially in the summer. And so diverse to get around the rest of Manitoba. Obviously, we mentioned um, then you can get some RVs, car hire, uh, you can fly up to Churchill. Is there a train up and across the province? Yeah, well, the train, the main train, like the Churchill, there's a train that goes to Churchill and that goes to two or three times a week up into Churchill for both to see the polar bears and the beluga whales. So it, it takes about uh, two and a half days to get up there, a couple of overnights and that. It's a beautiful train ride because it shows the diversity of the, you, you start off in the prairies at Winnipeg and you're going through the Canadian Shield, you're going through the different uh, diversities of the, of the topography and geography of the province and then you eventually 
actually get into Churchill. You actually cannot drive to Churchill. The road ends at a town called Gillum, which is south uh, southeast of Churchill. So you do it is a it is a great train ride. Also, if you wanted to go west from Winnipeg, you can get the the, the Canadian goes from west out towards you know, through through the prairies uh, into the Rockies and of course into Vancouver and that. So that you can do the the train that way. Uh, that's that the romantic version. A lot of people have come to Canada and actually taken taken the Canadian the train across Canada, and that you'll see many from the UK do that 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 have done that. And Winnipeg is a stop basically halfway across Canada, so the train is is really good from a tourism point of view. It's really quite quite impressive, and you get to see again the diversity of of the landscape of Canada and Manitoba. Just that's that's a great, great point to sort of highlight. Um, How long would you recommend staying um, in Manitoba and Winnipeg itself, obviously where people could be doing that cross-country train journey? Um, What would be your recommendation? Well, it, it varies. It varies with with uh, with the individual. I mean, you can spend uh, you can spend two or three days, weeks in in Manitoba alone, and that, or you can use Winnipeg as, as a as a base for the start. As they say, if you can use it as a base when you you you're going up to see the Bears in Churchill, you can also use it as a base for two or three days as you as you're traveling across Canada. There's a lot to do in the area and a lot to do within the city of Winnipeg and also outside of the city, just outside. There's some major attractions, uh, historical attractions, uh, day trips outside of Winnipeg itself. Or you you spend a little bit of time here as you're heading west, uh, like if you're, you're traveling across Canada. A lot of people will do that, but they'll spend a few days here. Other times they'll base themselves in Winnipeg because this is they particularly want to come here because of the diversity of the province. So anywhere from a couple of days right through to a couple of weeks, you could spend in this province depending on 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 your goals or whether you're seeing more of Canada uh, than just Manitoba or just focusing on Manitoba itself. So it it, it depends. Itineraries can be set up for each individual, but depending on their particular interests of, of uh, how much they want to see of Manitoba, how much they want to see of all of Canada, depending on a lot of factors. Again, it's for those who anyone's listening, it could be the fact that if you're if it's your first time to Canada and you actually want to try and see quite a lot, then it might be a couple of nights. Whereas if you've been yeah, to exactly you've already been to the west, you've been to the east, and now you listen to go, actually yes, I'd love to go out and see the wildlife. I love fishing or want to go see some polar bears. No, exactly. or want to get yeah. That diversity yeah. then You'll go there, and that'll be your your week or two holiday, and just go and explore. Yeah, that's so. true. It, it, like Winnipeg itself is a good base for that for seeing seeing all of all of Manitoba. It's a base so you can start off there and it, uh, and go up to Churchill, etc. Or it's a base for a few days as you're heading uh, towards western uh, the rest of Western Canada towards the the Rocky Mountains and Vancouver, etc. And for those that do visit, are there any must do for visitors? Well, it, it, there there are a must. Obviously, is 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 the Churchill, the polar bears, and that. When it comes to the city of Winnipeg, Winnipeg is once that I mentioned was was this boom time at one era. It, it's a, an unbelievable city. It's a surprising city. Most people come here had not even heard of it, and when they leave, they go, "Wow, I was, it's such an amazing place." Historically, there's three distinct levels of architecture which is if if you're looking at architecture now when when we talk about something being old in Winnipeg it's all relative if you're coming from the UK old is relative Winnipeg for instance was a prairie town uh there was nothing there in the 1850s 
And so historically, a buildings, the buildings of the exchange district, which came at the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, what we call an old building. So you've got that level of architecture there. Then there was a, a movement for change in the 50s when they got into a sort of a brutalist, modernist style of architecture. And then recently, in the last 20 years, there's been a more spectacular style of architecture in Winnipeg. So you've got three distinct levels of architecture. I've actually done architectural tours of the city of Winnipeg, for instance. People were blown away by it because it's unique, basically unique to the world. Because most times when cities develop and grow, they, they tear down old and build new. Winnipeg left the old. Then they, they built some newer ones in the 50s and early 60s. And then they've got a new one. So this distinct era of, of architecture. But uh, it's, uh, you know, so it, it's it's really interesting. So there's a lot of different things. For instance, right now, there's the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, which is an absolutely spectacular building built by an architect by the name of Anton Predock from from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it's it's uh, it's a, uh, an institution that that actually talks about human rights issues. You know, you're talking about Nelson Mandela, you're talking about Pol Pot, Idi Amin, etc., the Holocaust, etc., Aboriginal rights in 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 uh, Manitoba, North America. It's a it's a beautiful teaching facility, one of the more unique architectures of the world, actually. So we've got we've got that. We've got a. We've got a, a zoo here that has what they call a journey to Churchill, which is uh, they develop the sites of they almost duplicate what happens in Churchill itself. And they got an enormous area where you can see polar bears that have been brought down to Winnipeg, actually orphan bears quite often. Uh, that they find that have been stranded up in Churchill when the uh, mother bear has died and leaving the young ones orphan. They'll often bring them down here because they're not going to survive there. They'll bring them down here and they're in, in Churchill. Uh, they, they come in here to this uh, this journey to Churchill, which is a huge area. We've got a, a place called Fort White, which has uh, it shows uh, it, it shows the biodiversity of 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 the uh, landscape in the around the Winnipeg area. There's a lot of wildlife in this area. There's also a place north of Winnipeg called Okamak Marsh. We are in the, the the flyway, the path of of the uh, migration of geese and ducks, uh, and uh, and actually right now at this time of year, there's thousands of these Canadian geese, and actually a lot of them, they, a lot of them stage in this place called Okamak Marsh, north of Winnipeg, which is a world class facility. They'll, up to up to half a million geese will will stage there in the spring and in the fall, and that's spectacular. It's only it's only about 40 minutes outside of Winnipeg. There's so there's a there's a lot of variety of things to do within this within the city of Winnipeg. Uh, it's so diverse, you know how one city can have so much and be on the obviously on the doorstep of a province twice the size of the UK with so much opportunities with the lakes. Um, going to see polar bears in the wild, the Arctic tundra, beluga whales, the the, the great hikes and walks. It's such diversity within a province of Manitoba that a lot of people they might have heard of Churchill and the polar bears, um, but not realise how much else there is to do within uh, Manitoba. So I sort of say. Right. A massive thank you um, for coming on and being able to share your your knowledge um, with everyone, and again walk us talk us through the, this wonderful province. Um, right. But before we finish today, if 
someone was looking just to do um go to church or see the polar bears um come out and or come out in the summertime um where we, what, how would you say what would be an ideal length of time to explore and how long would you potentially say for Churchill and uh, Winnipeg in that itinerary on, and how long would you say to be able to really explore um, Manitoba in the summer? Just those two. I know earlier we said it's all dependent upon everyone and it could be anywhere from a couple of days through to a few weeks. Well, I, I would say that you you should spend uh, at least uh, at least a week or so, a week to ten days, uh, or seven to ten days. Uh, for instance, if you wanted to go to Churchill, you spend two or three days up there for sure. The city of Winnipeg has a lot to do. There's a couple of uh, unique kind of situations in Winnipeg too that I I hadn't mentioned yet. Uh, when it comes from tourism, you've got a lot of things. We are I, I know this you'll you'll like this. This is uh, we're we're sort of the Liverpool of North America when it comes to music. Uh, a lot of your a lot of a lot of people that'll be listening to this are familiar with some of the big groups come out of Winnipeg. Backman Turner Overdrive, which is their famous song Taking Care of Business, the Guess Who and also Neil Young came from here. And so we're literally like the Liverpool of North America in that. There's also another our our Manitoba legislative building is probably one of the greatest attractions in the city of Winnipeg. It was actually the architect whose name was Anton uh, Frank Worthington Simon, who was from, by the way, from Liverpool, he built our legislative building, unbeknownst to anybody but himself, as a temple. And it was built as as a modeled after King Solomon's temple. Our golden boy on the top of the of the building is the Greek god Hermes, and it's dedicated to it's it's done. He was a mason. There's Masonic symbolisms. It's it's the Da Vinci Code of of Canada, and that. So there's a lot of a lot of unique things you can do besides the the attractions that I'd mentioned before: the Okamak Marshes, the Journey to Churchill, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. We also have an outstanding Manitoba Museum, which gives the, the history and culture of Manitoba. So you can spend a lot of time in the city of Winnipeg itself, plus the outside outside of the city, including Churchill and that. So I, w- I would allow at least seven to 10 days uh, to be able to really absorb what's happening in the city and province, if that makes sense. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. And again, thank you for joining us. Um, and Thanks for everyone for listening. If you want to hear some more episodes, please go to thetravelpodcast.com and we'll have links to a lot more information that we've talked about today um, and also links to, to Don's recommendations on the day trips to Churchill. So thank you, Don. You're most welcome and we look forward to meeting, uh, meeting everybody coming from the UK here. You're all welcome. The Travel Podcast is sponsored by Not Just Travel. Where it's not just travel, it's a way of life. We hope you liked this podcast. And if you did, please tell your friends. But also take a moment to rate us on iTunes as it helps spread the word. Thanks for listening.